Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit and what does it mean that the Holy Spirit has arrived. And we, and we looked at that day in Pentecost and discovered what does the Holy Spirit mean to us today. And we saw that, that it empowers us. It gives us power, it purifies us for the mission, and it gives us a great message to proclaim. Uh, that's what it does to us. So I want to continue on that, that line of thinking about the Holy Spirit and what does it imply, what does it mean for us today living here in the 21st century? What does it imply for us? And I want to ask the question, is: are we living under the influence of the Holy Spirit? And I, and I get that, that, that question from the previous passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, where the individuals who, who heard what took place on that day at Pentecost, and they asked the question, what does this mean? And they said, they've had too much wine. They've had too much wine. Why did they say they had too much wine? Because there was something going on with these individuals that didn't look right. And so Peter gives it in passion plea, and he says, no, 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 guys, they're not drunk as you would think of somebody being drunk, but these guys are drunk on the Holy Spirit. Amen. And as I thought about that and what Peter said, it tells me that when you're living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, there will be some evidence of the Holy Spirit. You, you get where I'm going with this, Right? So let's look at this passage today in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. And we'll look at these words this morning under the, under the heading, how do we know we are living under the influence? That's the question. How do we know we're living under the influence? Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2, 14 through 21. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Peter is quoting the words from the prophet Joel, spoken 900 years earlier than these words were actually experienced. Joel, the prophet, looked forward to future events. Peter sees them as a completed event. And as we look at what happened, as we look at the, Peter's explanation, we will see a picture of how the Holy Spirit affects our lives. And the question we want to continue asking throughout this passage is, am I living under the influence of the Holy Spirit? We know we are living under the influence when we have a vision of great things. Look at verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters 
will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I want to focus on that part. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Now, some people make distinctions between these two categories of individuals. Some say dreams. The reason that they dream is because it's a, it's a mental exercise, but it does not require a great deal of effort. Uh, you can dream about something, but you really don't have to do anything to make that dream a reality. It's kind of like a daydream. It's nice to dream about it. It's nice to think about it, but you really don't have to do anything about a dream, but a vision. A vision is much more than a dream. A vision goes beyond a dream to capture the person. As one individual said it, he said it this way, a person may have a dream, but a vision has the person. And that because he has this vision, he will pay any price to the point of death to bring the vision into full reality. He said, he may have a dream, but a vision will not let him go because the vision has him. Others look at this and they see a distinction between old men and young men. They say the reason an old men dream is because they know they can't fulfill the dream. And, but young men, they have visions because they would do whatever it takes to fulfill the vision. They have the energy, they have the stamina to fulfill the vision, whereas elderly, the older, do not have that, so they just dream. I don't think there's a big difference. I think this is typical Hebrew thought. It's uh, the first line repeats the second line, or the second line repeats the first line. It's just giving different emphasis in a different way. I don't think that's the focus uh, of the passage. I don't think that's what it's trying to say. I think, think that what, what is coming out in this passage, when people are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they will no longer dwell on memories and past accomplishments. They will be captivated of visions of greater things. Because why? The old has passed away and the new has come. They press forward, not looking behind. They will always be looking forward to see what it's all about. In other words, they are future-oriented and not past-oriented. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. Which one of you, wanting a plow field, looks behind you? No, you look forward to plow the field. I press on, I press on to achieve the calling of Christ in my life. They have a vision of what can be, what should be, and they're fueled by that passion. That's the way it's supposed to be. Let me tell you what I believe the vision is for Western Heights Baptist Church. It's not new. I tell it to you all the time. But I think sometimes you have to go back and reiterate. Reiterate it. And I have, to, I have to tell you, then I have to tell you, then I have to tell you what I told you. I believe God has a vision for Western Heights. I believe God has given me a vision for Western Heights. I believe it's God's vision that we ought to be bigger, better, and broader. Amen. Not new, not new. Bigger, better, broader. Let me flesh that out for you. What do I mean when I say that we are to be bigger? Well, unapologetically, that means we need to have more people. We need to get bigger in our numbers. 
we have an auditorium that seats about 650. So theoretically, in theory, we can reach about 500. Why 500? Because at 500, they, they stat statistics tell you that when you reach 80% through capacity, you are full. You will not grow. You will not. Uh, there's exceptions to the rule. So if you look around, just look around for a little bit. Anybody think that we don't have some room that we can grow? We, we've got some room. Now, we do two services. So they, you know, five, could you imagine 500 in the first and 500 in the second? Uh, then we'd have to get serious about that. So 500 people. Can I just, I'm going to make a statement. And you, some of you are going to be offended by this. If you do not want this church to grow, you need to go someplace else. If you're offended by that, then thus saith the Lord, be offended. If you don't want this church to grow, that's like, that's like saying, as a Christian, I don't want to grow. You are automatically disobedience to God. God. Because if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we will grow to be a large tree. And we will bear fruit. And the birds of the air will come and nest in our trees. Can't do that with a mustard seed. That mustard seed has to have grow to be a large tree. So we want to get bigger. But we also want to get better. It's not enough just to get bigger, increase in numbers. You have to get better. What do I mean by getting better? It means that we need to take serious our call of Christ upon our lives. We need to get committed to discipling. We need to get committed to being all that we can be in Christ Jesus. In the words of Paul, we got to quit taking the milk and we got to start eating on the meat. We've got to grow up spiritually mature individual. I don't, it doesn't matter how, you could be 90 years old to be a baby Christian. Or you can be eight years old to be a mature Christian. It's not a matter of age. It's a matter of, of your spiritual maturity. Now, I need to do a better job as a pastor of equipping you. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. It says that the job of the pastor is to equip the saints. It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is to equip the saints. So I need to do a better job of equipping you. But not just, I can't do it by myself. It has to be the entire leadership team. All of us, we have to do a better job of equipping you, equipping you. But it's not just the leadership team, it's the Bible study teachers. Somebody asked us the other day, what was the greatest need uh, of the church? And we, and we thought about it for a minute a bit, and some, some people said something, I came up and said, our greatest need as far as discipleship is to change, not teaching the Bible for information, but teaching the Bible for life change. Sunday school teachers, I challenge you, at the end of, at the end of your lesson, when you spend your two, three, four hours studying your lesson, then you teach it for 30, 40, 50 minutes. Listen, if you're not teaching lesson for 50 minutes, you need to evaluate what you're teaching. Now, we give you an hour to teach the lesson. You need to be teaching the lesson, not talking about social ministries going on around you. You need to be teaching God's Word. Greatest tool of discipleship in the church is Bible study. Greatest tool. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Y'all know we do Bible study on Sunday nights. It's called discipleship. Amen. Tuesday nights we do Bible study. Other nights we do Bible study. You need to be asking your question. As you come to the end of your lesson, you need to ask, okay, now how do we take what we learned here and apply it to our lives? Without application, there's no life change. It's just knowledge. It's just knowledge. You're not there to give a history lesson. You're there to give Life change lessons that affects the life. So we need to do a better job of, of getting better, letting our spiritual roots nurture and be strengthened so that we can grow. 
But there's one more, bigger, better, and broader. What do I mean by broader? It means broader, it means we need to increase our sphere of influence in the community. We need to get out in the community and impact the lives of people. Already, we already reach past our sphere of influence. Stop and think about it. We got some of our folks that live in Woodway. I live in Woodway. We got some of our people live in Hewitt. Others live in other parts of Waco. We even got four or five families that live in McGregor. Already, our sphere of influence has increased just by the fact of where you live. But, but we need to expand that. And, it, and the church is not what happens here. The church is what happens out there. When we as a church, we gather to worship, we gather to get encouraged, but then we walk out these doors to engage, to impact the lostness of the world around us. So we, we have to engage, we have to, to get broader in what we're doing, our sphere of influence. Here's the, way I, here's the way I see it happening. We get 500 in worship service. We're not going to build a new building. We're going to stand up one Sunday and say, okay, we need 100 of you to go out and start a church at another location. 100 people. What does that do for us? That drops us back down to 400, which gives us room to grow to another 100 people, another 500 people, so that we can do what? So we can send another 100 out to plant a church. Why did I say 100? Because this is not my first rodeo. I know that when we send a church planter out, very rarely will that church planter be able to grow a church. Very rarely. There's exceptions to the rule, but usually they just can't grow it to the point where they can be self-supporting, self-sustaining, and self-governing, and self-propagating. They can't do it. But if you send out 100 people who are workers, who are tithers, who are prayer warriors, guess what? They're going to succeed. But what it does is it increases our sphere of influence in another community, in another section of town, so that they can be the hands of feet in the local community. We're not going to grow to be 3,000. We're not going to grow to be 1,000. Our job is to, is to grow to a point where we can send people out to impact the community. Bigger, better, and broader. How will we determine if we're successful? How are we going to determine if we're doing it? We just voted on a new vision statement this past Wednesday night. Our vision statement is to exalt Christ, equip the church, engage the community. Everything we do is going to be about those three things. How are we exalting Christ? How are we equipping the church? How are we engaging the community? It's not enough just to get people in the worship service exalting Christ. We want that. We want people here exalting Christ. But if we're not growing in the other areas, we are failing as a church. All we're doing is gathering a crowd. We're not sending anybody out to do ministry. So we don't know how we're moving people through the process from, from exalting to equipping to engaging. And what we want to see, instead of looking at everything horizontal, you know, vertically, how we're growing in attendance, how are we moving people through the process? How are we moving people from exalting Christ to engaging their community? Because that's what it all about is. It doesn't say, it doesn't say gather in the church. It says go and make disciples. How are we going to make disciples? That's the process. That's how, how it's, it's going to look. That's what we hope will happen. We have to move from vertical thinking to horizontal thinking and seeing how are we moving people through the process. I believe that's God's vision. I believe that is, well, that's the vision God has given to me. I believe that's a vision of great things that God wants to do 
in this body of believers. Is it fleshed out? No. It's not fleshed out. I mean, it's not written down in in stone, in tablets of stone. I would rather be written on hearts of flesh than tablets of stone. But it becomes the DNA of our church. You see, it's not just a, a slogan that we do. It becomes this is who we are as people. This is who we are as a church. This is our genetic makeup that we exalt and we equip and we engage for the purpose of what? To bring glory to God and our Father in heaven. I'm convinced when we are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, when we are living under the Holy Spirit's power, we will have a vision of great things. That's why we're asking you in the future to be a part of a ministry team. I know you're scared to death to be part of a ministry. What is that? Whatever it might be. It may be something small. It may be part of a prayer ministry team or a hostess team, a welcoming team, a creative arts team, a a children's team, a preschool team, a, a youth team, a senior adult team, whatever that is. We're going to ask you to do that. But see, here's the thing. I believe you can do it. And here's the reason I believe you do it. Because the Holy Spirit is living within you. And you can do it because you can see a vision for greater things. Second truth, we know we are living under the influence when we do great things. We see this in verses 17 and 18. It says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Verse 18, it says, even on my servants, they will prophesy. What he's trying to say there, he's breaking down uh, genders, but he's also breaking down socioeconomic groups. In other words, everybody will be able to prophesy. Everybody will be able to do that. Now, it is true that we don't see prophecy taking place in this passage. But you have to remember the Old Testament context. In the Old Testament, prophecy was always associated with the preached word. It was always proclaiming the word of God. So don't get hung up on prophecy that we're prophesying about what's going to happen in the future. No, we're proclaiming the word of God. Listen, if I tell you that, that people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, that's prophecy, folks. But it's also proclaiming the word of God. So this is what what we see happening. So Peter is equating the people proclaiming the Word of God. Peter stood up and proclaimed the Word of God. The people proclaimed the Word of God. Peter is is saying that is what we're talking about. You see, the Jewish people believed that that the Word of God, that prophecy ceased. That there was no longer any prophecy being taken place. But they also believed that at the coming of the Messiah, that prophecy would once again be reinstated in the Jewish people. So Peter is saying, look folks, what you've been hoping for, what you've been praying for, what you've been longing for has happened with the coming of Jesus Christ. And now we're going to see that proclamation. We're going to see the prophecy of God being experienced once again. And you're going to see it in people's lives as they, as, they, as they do great things. Let me give you an example. 53 days before this happened, Peter denied Jesus. Three times. 53 days. He denied Jesus. What happened? Why was he, Peter, the one who denied Jesus 53 days earlier, was able to stand up and preach a sermon before thousands of people? Was it the crucifixion? Was it the resurrection? No. It's because he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit has come upon his life, which enabled him to proclaim the message. Another example. All 11 of the disciples, well, all 10 of the disciples, Judas killed himself. All 10 of the disciples, with the exception of John, deserted Jesus. John was the only one that was there at the cross. They deserted Jesus. Now, here they are, 53 days later, 52, whichever one you want. Here they are, because the Bible says in verse uh, 11 of chapter 2, that they hear them, all these people, declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Remember, the Holy Spirit was not, the coming of the Holy Spirit was not about speaking in unknown languages. The power of the Holy Spirit was about a proclamation of the gospel. Rendering the people the ability to proclaim the good news in the tongues of the people. But here they are, 53 days after deserting Jesus, after denying Jesus, and yet here they are out in amongst the people telling others about Jesus. What changed? Was it the crucifixion? Was it the resurrection? No. It was the power of the Holy Spirit living in their lives. And they were able to do great things. This applies to us. This still applies to us. I talked about doing the ministry teams. That's exactly what we're going to ask you to do. God is asking you to step out on faith and in his strength to do great things. In his strength. Just like he did for the disciples. Third truth in this passage. We would know we are living under the influence when we see great things. In verses 19 through 20, we see all these things taking place. These are spectacular events. Many people look at this passage and they say, well, we don't see these signs. We don't see blood and fire. They didn't see blood and fire and smoke. And they didn't see the, 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 the moon turn to blood. They didn't see the sun turn dark. And they said, because those events did not happen, Joel's prophecy did not come true. What you need to understand is that Peter is looking at time in a microcosm because we see the beginning of this in the first part of Joel's prophecy. The other part will not be fulfilled till Jesus comes in his reign. That's the second coming of Jesus. But Peter is ushering and said, man, we are about to experience that. Jesus is going to come back in all his glory. But people look at that and they say, well, because we don't see the spectacular we're not going to believe that God is moving. We're not going to believe that God is speaking. We're not going to believe that God is empowering us because we don't see the spectacular. Can we be honest? We're the same way today. Because we don't see the spectacular, because we don't see the miraculous, because we don't see things happening in a powerful way, we don't see God moving. We don't see God doing great things. It happened in the Old Testament to Elijah, one of the great prophets in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13, Elijah's throwing a pity party. Anybody ever thrown a pity party? Yeah, you know, you know who you are. You know who you are. He's throwing a pity party. Oh, woe is me. I'm all by myself. Nobody loves me. God, you're not helping me. And so God says, Elijah, shut up. That's a metaphor. He didn't really say that. He says, Elijah, be still. I'm about to reveal myself to you. So he goes, and high, goes to the mountain. And it says that God's about to pass through. So Elijah begins looking for God. 
He's been looking for God, and the first thing that happens, a mighty wind comes, and it rips the mountain, and it trembles the mountain where Elijah is, but God wasn't in it. And the next thing that happens was a, was a, a strong earthquake that very shook the foundations where Elijah was, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then fire came down from the sky, and it consumed everything around Elijah, but God wasn't in the fire. And then all of a sudden, everything was still. And there was a whisper. And God revealed himself to Elijah in the whisper. He was looking for God in the spectacular. He was looking for God in the miracles when God revealed himself in the small, in the small things. Many of us want to see spectacular things happening in our church. Can I tell you, I want to see it. Can, can I just make that confession to you? I want to see great things happening. I've been here three and a half years. What I mean by spectacular things is people falling to the knees and repenting and coming to Christ. People uniting with this body of believers left and right because they want to be a part of what God is doing. We haven't seen it happen yet. <laughs> we haven't seen it happen yet. But if we will open our eyes, if we're living under the influence, we will see great things happening all around us. Let me give you a couple of stories to illustrate that. We have a young lady that attends our, our fellowship. She's not able to attend as much as she used to because she's having to work on Sundays. So she just can't come. But she still reads her Bible. She still loves our church. And she's always telling people about this church. Can you imagine that? Somebody doesn't even come and she's telling them about this fellowship and she's telling them about Jesus. One of her co-workers eventually came to church and started coming. One Sunday, two Sundays, three Sundays, four Sundays, five Sundays. Eventually, that young lady made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of life. Why? Because one person took the initiative to invite her to church. And she came. And then we did, you know, we did our part but she became a follower of Jesus. Another story. Back in August of last year, three of us went to Baylor Welcome Week. And we, we must have talked to two or 300 students at Baylor. You know, there's about 16,000, so we couldn't talk to all of them. But we talked about three, two, 300, 400 students and invited them to come and be a part of our fellowship. A few of them did. Some of them came back some more times, and five or six of them began coming on a regular basis of the church, and we poured our life into the ones that we could. And over the process of time, one of those individuals made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of his life. All it took was just some people were being faithful to what they could do, and God did the rest. What was the old statement I said, first sermon I preached to here in this passage? Attempt great things from God. Expect great things from God. All it took was people that just invited somebody to come to church, and God did the rest. You know what that tells me? God is moving. But it's in the small things that we may not see if we don't pay attention to what he's doing. God is doing great things. If we do not look for it, we will not see it. When we are living under the influence, we will see great things. 
The world may not say it's a great thing. They may not think it's that, that spectacular. But when we see through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, God helps us to celebrate even the small things as great things. And as we focus on what he's doing, as we focus on what he's doing in the small things, I believe he gives us bigger things. For those who are faithful in the few, he'll give them much more to do. And the thing about, about that type of, of, of vision, when we have that idea of seeing great things, it rids us of the spirit of pessimism. We're no longer pessimistic. Instead, we're optimistic of what God can do. When you're living under the influence, optimism ought to be a part of your life as you see what God is doing. One final truth, then we'll be finished. We will know we are living under the influence when we see people calling on a great God. This is the key to me. This is the most important part of this passage. Look at verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, that's pretty radical statements coming from Peter, a devout Jew, but it's even more radical coming from the prophet Joel, 900 years previous, who made this prediction that there's coming a time that all people have to do is call on the name of the Lord to be saved. What was going on here? We're talking about individuals that are steeped in religion, they're steeped in ritual, they're, 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 they're steeped in, their, in keeping the law. And what the prophet Joel and what Peter is saying, he says, no longer do you have to go to the temple. No longer do you have to go to the tabernacle to make your offerings. Now you can go directly to God and receive salvation. That's what he's telling them. He's breaking down the walls of religion. He's breaking down the walls of tradition. He's breaking down the walls of all these obstacles that keep people from experiencing God. He goes, you don't need that anymore. Now, if you'll just call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Now, I like to put this in the modern context. This is what I do when I read a passage like that. I like to say, everyone who lives in the Waco area, everyone lives within proximity of this area. If they will call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Then you need to start living like it. Every one of us, the preacher included. I'm, I'm, I remember, I preached this sermon myself five times in my office. Matter of fact, I even softened it so it wouldn't be hard on me. If we really believe that verse, if we really believe it, we ought to live our lives in such a way that it comes true. How's it going to happen? How is this going to happen? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think I've discovered the secret. But I think it's a secret we're sharing. I think it's when we get the other three right. When we get those other three right, when we have that vision of great things, and we begin to do great things, and we see great things, I think then we will see people calling on the name of the Lord. Why is that? Because enthusiasm is contagious. I don't care if you're nine or 90. If you are enthusiastic, people want to be around you. They want to be around you. I read the story of three miners back in the California gold rush that they discovered a gold mine. And they looked at one another and said, you know, we've got a pretty good thing going here if we can just keep the secret. Because if you know, we let this out, 
you know, we're going to be bushwhacking all this stuff. So I said, here's what we'll do. We'll go in the town, we'll file our claim, we'll buy our equipment, and we'll come back and mine the mine. So they go into town, not one person said a word. They filed their claim, they got their equipment, and they proceeded out to their, their new place. And a crowd of people followed them. But they didn't say a word. Didn't speak a word. Why was it that a crowd of people followed them? Because they couldn't get the smile off their face. And the people realized they must have discovered something because it sure does radiate off their face. And so they followed them to the mine. I read another story about a motivational speaker who was asked what was his greatest challenge as a motivational speaker. He said, oh, man, my greatest challenge was when I spoke to a group of undertakers about how to be depressed at a $15,000 funeral. He said, it just can't happen. It just can't happen. Because the, the enthusiasm, the excitement radiates off your face. I believe the same premise works in our Christian life. I believe the same premise works in the life of the church. If we are excited about what God is doing in our life, we can't contain it. If we are excited about what God is doing in his church, it can't be contained. It can't be contained. You know, look, let me speak very candidly. If you're not excited about what go, what going, what's going on here, then find a church where you can get excited. I, I'm not being mean. I, I want you to be excited. I really do. I want you to be excited. And if it ain't here, if it ain't happening, then man, then I am, I, I am causing you to sin. We're causing you to sin. Go find that place, man. It makes you happy. That gets you excited about being a part of the church. I hope you don't leave. That would be pretty depressing. But if we're excited about what God is doing in our life and the life of his church, you can't, help but, you can't help but show it. A spirit of optimism and a spirit of excitement will lead people to want, want the same thing that we have, and we will see people calling on a great God. But let me tell you something. Just the opposite is true as well. A spirit of pessimism, a spirit of, of depression will lead people to look elsewhere. They don't want to be around. You know I'm speaking the truth. You just don't want to be around a bunch of Eeyores. You know, yes, I'm happy. Thanks for noticing. You want to be around Tigger, not Eeyore. It works that way. But when you're optimistic, when you're excited about what God has done in your life, when you're excited about what God is doing in your church, and it just radiates off your face. You know what people are going to do? They're going to say, man, what is wrong with you? Why do you have such a spirit of optimism in your life? Why are you able to do this? You know what you can say? This, that, let me tell you about somebody I know. Let me tell you about my Jesus. You don't have to know the four spiritual laws, the Roman road. Just tell them about Jesus and how it changed your life. I pray he's changed your life. If he hasn't, then you need to see me after church. But here's the question you need to ask yourself. Are you living under the influence of the Holy Spirit? If you are not, then you need to ask a second question. Why not? Why not? Because as Baptists, we believe 
that every born-again believer has the Spirit of God within them. So there's only two answers to that question. Either you're not saved, or two, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, is also a sin. If the Bible tells us not to quench the Holy Spirit, then to quench the Holy Spirit is a sin. Oh, I'm meddling now, am I not? But you see, as your pastor, I want to see you be all that you can be in Christ Jesus. I don't care how old you are. I want you to, I want you to be a dynamic follower of Jesus Christ in every way possible. I've been on the other spectrum. I like this spectrum much more. I've lived in a life when I live my life for myself and not for Christ. I like this one much better. So I'm not speaking from an ivory tire theologian. I'm speaking to somebody that has been there. Been there, done that. Now what do we want to do? We want to see the power of God manifested in our lives, in our ministry, and in His church. In a moment, we're going to give, you, give a time of invitation. Kip's going to come lead us. Marilyn's going to come and play. It's an opportunity for you to respond to what God is calling you to do in your life. You know, I don't know how God would have you uh, respond. Maybe it's simply right where you're saying, said, you know, Lord, I'm just prone to quench you. I don't want to. I know, I know that's true in most of your lives. You don't really want to, but you just find yourself so caught up in the minutia, in, in the garbage going on, that you just can't seem to get above it. You say, God, I recognize that in my life. Lord, I confess that to you. But God, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want your Holy Spirit to empower my life. Help me, Lord, to not quench the Spirit. Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit, inflame my heart once again. Lord, send the old Pentecostal fire into my life once again. Some of you might say, you know, I, I'm not living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm living in my own power, in my own might, in my own strength. I've examined the two reasons that might be happening. I've discovered that the reason I'm not living under the influence of the Holy Spirit is because I don't know Jesus Christ. Listen, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you cannot live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You will, you will be stuck in religion trying to follow a bunch of rules, regulations, rituals, and rites that will not save you. There is no power to save you inside the church. It's only in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And some of you might say, I need Jesus Christ in my life so I can live a transformed life. And the Bible says, for all who call on Him, talking about Jesus, to all who call on Jesus, He gives them the power. The word is right, but the actual Greek word is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. So He gives them the dynamite, gives them the power, gives the explosive power to call, to be called a son of God. You have the power, the right, the dominion to be called a son of God if you call on the name of the Lord. And all those who call on the name of the Lord, all those who call on the name of the Lord, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here today. We pray, Father, that we indeed would be guilty of living under the influence Not just as individuals, 
But Father, as a church, as a whole. The Father, your power, your passion, your message, God, will proclaim from these walls in a way that, God, we've never seen. Because, Father, you are Lord and you are God. Father, this is your church. God, forgive us if we ever say this is our church, this is my church. God, this is your church. And Lord, because it's your church, we want to live under your dominion. We want to live under your control. We want to live under your will. Oh, God, our prayer is that your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done, God, on earth, just as it is in heaven. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.